Hey, happy Mother's Day to all you biological and spiritual moms out there. Don't forget about the pictures. Uh, Kyle said if anybody, if you have a mom, which is everyone, you can get a free picture. So make sure you do that. I thought it would only be appropriate on Mother's Day to show you pictures of my mom who passed away in 2012, but I'm going to show you her and some of the women on her side of the family. So here's a picture of her. She's beautiful. Um, all my, true story, all my brothers have red hair except for me. Um, so that's where they get it from. And yeah, look at that stud with the cummerbund in the front there. It's a good looking kid. Uh, he grew up to be a pastor. You may know him. Uh, but that's my mom on the, on the left there and my dad, which is where I get my dark hair from. And that's her parents. The next picture is my uh, yeah, wife and my mom on our wedding day. Um, both beautiful. Great moms, both of them. And then we have another one, I believe. Yeah. This is one of my favorite pictures of my mom with my kids before she passed away from cancer. She lost all her hair. And uh, we're in Maine at that time. They're snuggling her, and she's just reading them a book. And, uh, yeah. That's my grandmom, Irene. That's Irene Mary. Oh, sorry, Irene. Yeah, Irene Mary Martin. Uh, that's my grandmom. She lives in Arizona now. And uh, that is my great-grandmom. That is Maria Dominica Chacha. We call her Mumum. As you can imagine, it was easier to say Mumum than Maria Dominica Chacha. Uh, and then the next one is, uh, yeah, this is one of my favorite pictures. Uh, it's hilarious. It's like, this is my, gran- my great-grandmother's family. They come over from Italy. So uh, her mom is in the middle there. Uh, her name is Katerina. She is married uh, to my great-great-grandfather, Cosimo Damiano Chacha. They're from Polsano, Italy. And my favorite thing, and they left Italy and they landed in the U.S. in 1905. And uh, the, what I love about this photo is like, look, you have one photo. You're going to have your entire life back then, right? Nobody has phones. There's no cameras. Like, this is your one chance to get a picture, and this is the best they came up with. So <laughs> this is a, a really challenging, must have been a really challenging time. Um, the 1900s were tough. Yeah. But if you left Italy, you'd probably be upset too. So, no, I'm just kidding. Hey, so we're going through this series. And why do I show this to you? We all came from somewhere. Unless you're 100% Native American, somewhere along, along the line, part of your family or all of your family came to this country as immigrants. And I could show you pictures from my dad's side too from Ireland, but it's not Father's Day. It's Mother's Day, so I won't do that because it's not about him today. But we're continuing this serious cultural creed where we're going through the creed of our culture, which is in this house we believe, and you can find all different iterations of this sign. We've gone through Black Lives Matter, women's rights are human rights, we've done love is love, we did science is real. Today we're doing no human is illegal, and next week we'll do um, trans women are women. We'll address that subject. And what we're doing with this series is just showing our, we're trying to really see that the gospel offers us better answers than our culture does in addressing the issues of our day. So today we're going to address no human is legal. We'll talk about immigration. All of us were immigrants, or we come from immigrant families. 
in which you've, if you've been paying attention to immigration, it's a constant part of the American political discourse, and it has been for some time. Even this week, right, it was in the news again if, with the expiration of Title 42, which was the end of a policy enacted due to COVID to keep migrants out for the sake of public health. And my goal today is not to solve what to do post-Title 42. I have no idea. I don't get paid to figure that out. My goal is, though, what I do get paid to do is help us move the conversation forward around immigration by showing us how God's word encouraged us to think about immigrants. And here's what I want us to take home today. You and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, are called to love immigrants as ourselves and see their presence as a gospel opportunity. We're called to love them as ourselves and see their presence as a gospel opportunity. So I want to talk about three things today. I want to talk about immigration, immigrants and the law, immigrants and the gospel, and immigrants and mission. So first, let's look at immigrants and the law. Leviticus 19, 33 to 34. Let's jump back there again. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall do him no harm. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. You shall love him as yourself. God requires his people to show love and mercy to immigrants. Stranger is the Hebrew word ger. It's better translated, as many scholars would say, it's better translated immigrant. So when an immigrant sojourns with you in your land, you shall do him no wrong. You shall treat the immigrant who sojourns with you as native among you and shall love him as yourself. And God commands his people to love Gare, to love immigrants as themselves. And it mirrors a verse just earlier, which you may have heard before, Leviticus 19, 18. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You, so God says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And in this discourse and these commands that God is giving you, then he says, love the immigrant as yourself. In the gospels, what happens is Christ is confronted by an expert in Israel's law. And he's asked by this lawyer that he says, what's the greatest commandment, right? Lawyers are always trying to catch you somehow answering the wrong way so they can do this like aha moment and just get you. And Christ gives this twofold answer. Mark 12, 30, 31, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And listen, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself There's no other commandment greater than these. And what we do is when we get a fuller picture of this story in Luke, this expert, this lawyer, Luke tells us this, this kind of transition verse. Desiring to justify himself, this lawyer said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? He wants to justify his actions, that he only has to love the person that is his neighbor. And what Jesus does then, he tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. He talks about how there's this Israelite man who's mugged and robbed and left for dead. And two Israelites walk by and both ignore him. But then he's cared for by a hated Samaritan. And then Jesus turns the question back to the lawyer and he says this, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Jesus is saying, everyone is your neighbor. Everyone. And if you're truly loving your neighbor as yourself, you'll show neighborly love to everyone 
by your actions. Despite who they are or where they came from, even if they come from the hated land of Samaria. And in Luke 6, Jesus says, if we love only those who love us, what good is that? He says, even non-Christians do that. Even sinners do that. Instead, we're to love everyone, even our enemies. And then Jesus wraps up that, that discourse and he says, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. God requires his people to show the same love and mercy they've been afforded. God's been merciful, you be merciful. Show the same love and mercy that you've been afforded to everyone, neighbors, enemies, and Leviticus says, immigrants. Our love and mercy toward others is a reflection of God's love and mercy toward us. And until we start to realize that, nothing's going to change. How much my love affects an immigrant reveals how much God's love has affected me. So immigrants are to be shown love and mercy by, be, by, be given, by giving them the same protections and holding them to the same standards as everyone else. And I want you to listen through this, okay? Listen through these passages and we're going to go. Throughout the Old Testament, the Hebrew ger, immigrant, is associated with society's most vulnerable. Oftentimes, it's with widows and orphans. So in Jeremiah 7, 6 or 7, with, with Babylon threatening to take over Israel, God tells Israel they're at risk at losing it all. They're at risk at losing everything. Babylon's going to take over, and they're going to destroy you. Why, he says? Because they had not afforded the most vulnerable widows, orphans, and immigrants the same protections as everyone else. Israel is called to be a holy nation. And by holy, the whole word holy means set apart. They're supposed to be different than everyone else as God's people for his purposes. And all Leviticus 19 is about holiness in action. To be holy doesn't just mean you read your Bible and pray and go to church. That's absolutely part of it. But our holiness, our set apartness must be put into action. There should be obvious spiritual and practical differences between me and a non-Christian. There should be obvious spiritual and practical differences between you and a non-Christian. And so our holiness should be a reflection of God's holiness. So Peter picks up this idea of like oh, being holy, being a holy nation, and he applies it to the church. And he says in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, he says, But as he who called you is holy... You also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. You shall be set apart for I am set apart. You should be holy, set apart in all your conduct. The Bible, listen, the Bible does not intend to give us an immigration policy we can then copy and paste into 21st century America. 
but it does tell us what our posture should be toward immigrants. Our posture should be that we reflect the love and mercy we've been afforded by God and the love and mercy I would want others to show me. So when an immigrant family moves into your neighborhood, welcome them. Would you want to be welcomed into your neighborhood? Yes. Introduce yourself. Ask them their names. Say hello whenever you see them. Find common interests. Perhaps even invite them over for a meal or go to their, their meals. Patronize their business if they have one. If an immigrant walks into church on Sunday, offer them the same love and mercy you've been afforded. Treat them with respect. Invite them to home meeting. Be quick to offer help if needed. If they, for some reason, need legal advice, connect them to Christian Legal Clinics of Philadelphia. By showing love and mercy, I offer immigrants the same protection from harm and suspicion that I've been afforded. No one ever asked me where I'm from. No one. No one ever asked me for my papers. I could be here legally for all you know. No one asks. No one casts suspicion on my Australian friend that he's here illegally. Everyone assumes he is. But people do cast suspicion on my Middle Eastern neighbors. I wouldn't want to be treated that way. When I move into a neighborhood, everyone would be like, we're never going to be friends. What's the deal with those guys? I know it's challenging. Like, trust me, my Middle Eastern neighbors, I'm, they say hi to me. I, I, they might be all the English they know. <laughs> like, besides their name and, and hi, that's all, that's all our conversations go, as far as they go. But all immigrants should be afforded the same protections of love and mercy as I am. If I reach out to Liberty for help, I wouldn't want someone asking for my papers. I want to be treated the same as anyone else who asks for help. If I were here illegally and someone found out, I would want them to disciple me by challenging me to make it right, but not treat me like a leper, not treat me like I'm unclean. So I shouldn't treat Central American immigrants that way. I wouldn't want anyone to turn blind eye to violence against my people group. So I can't do that to the attacks on Asians that we've seen increase in recent years. I wouldn't want anyone casting suspicion on my family, wondering if my family are terrorists, when we're just trying to be good neighbors and make a living, oftentimes coming from places we left because those things existed. So I wouldn't want to I shouldn't be doing that to my Middle Eastern neighbors and immigrants. As someone creating the image of God, I also wouldn't want to be used to be as a pawn in a political game. Listen to me. Both right and left are using immigrants for political gain. Both are. And the skeptic in me and the cynic in me goes, nothing will be fixed, ever be fixed, because both of you are using immigrants not as people creating the image of God, but as pawns in your chess game. 
So when we allow harm and suspicion and we allow people to be used as political pawns, that stuff to just run rampant, we dehumanize immigrants and we allow it because we think somehow we deserve love and mercy and they shouldn't. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you know you don't deserve love and mercy. But Jesus gave it to you anyway. You know, Christianity is the only religion where you get the verdict before the case. You don't have to prove to God that you deserve love and mercy. God says, put your faith in Jesus. There you go. You have it. But I think I deserve love and mercy because really I'm selfish. And God's word, what it does, God's word fights against this selfish dehumanization by humanizing everyone. Everyone is created in the image of God. Everyone should be afforded the same protections. Everyone should be treated like everyone else. And if that's the case, we should also be held to the same standards. Immigrants in ancient Israel were held to the same standards as native-born citizens. They were to observe the Sabbath. That's Exodus 23.12. They're supposed to follow most of the dietary laws, Leviticus 17.10. If you murdered or stole, the same law would apply. And as far as God's concerned, the immigrant and citizen are supposed to be treated the same. Protections and standards. So the cultural value of no human is illegal is at odds with the Bible. God created borders for the people of Israel and laws protecting people's property and their possessions so that native-born Israelites and non-native-born could feel safe and flourish in the land. And God put government in place to maintain the same protections and standards for those who live within their boundaries. According to Romans 13, if someone's breaking the law, God has given the government every right to justly punish the offender. So the U.S. government has every right to protect its borders for the good of its citizens. But as followers of Jesus, it's our job as to call the U.S. government to apply the same protections of love and mercy, but also call them to honor the standards by applying them fairly. When a citizen breaks the law, he or she should be punished. So should a non-citizen and vice versa. In a way, this is also loving and merciful. When the same standards are held for citizen and non-citizen, we can all be safe and we can all flourish. I will never be able to feel safe or flourish if someone's just allowed to come into my home whenever they want. And the same is true for our, our borders. There should be policies. There should be rules. They should be compassionate. They should be loving and merciful. And they should be applied across the board the same way. So look, I'm, as I said, I don't get paid to solve these issues, but I just have some idea, an idea when it comes to illegal immigrants particularly. Well, like I said, while we should be hesitant to copy and paste ancient Israel societal structures on our own, I mean, nobody here is advocating to ban bacon, right? We don't want to do that. We can't. We won't go back. We as followers of Jesus should apply, though, the same principles We should look to balance love and mercy toward the immigrant and honor toward the law.
According to recent census data, there are over 45 million immigrants in America. And according to studies, two-thirds are here legally. We always hear about the legal immigrants, but two-thirds are here legally. That means one-third of immigrants in America are here illegally. They're undocumented. And just listen to me. I'm, again, I'm not the president. I'm not a legislator. Just a pastor. But in my mind, it seems extremely impractical to try and ship 15 million illegal immigrants back to their countries. I don't know. Like, for me, like, that's a waste of my tax dollars. And I, you may not feel that way, but I think it's extremely impractical. It's extremely financially challenging. And while I don't know how to answer the exact question, I think John Piper, who's a pastor in Minnesota, he suggests this. A reasonable fine for illegal immigrants is a good place to start. That's a good place to start the conversation. And John Piper says this. Just like illegal parking is against the law and we are charged a reasonable fee when we're caught, so too we should charge a reasonable penalty for legal immigrants, but one that doesn't require them to return to their home country. And I think this is why I think it's a good suggestion is because it balances showing mercy for people already here, and it doesn't remove children from parents, which, by the way, they estimate that there are over 4 million children to illegal immigrants. And they're born in the US, U.S., so that makes them citizens according to the 14th Amendment. So again, without breaking up families and shipping people off and all the finances that go into that and all the manpower, maybe when somebody's caught, we give them a fine until they, do, they, they settle things and make it right. But that's just a thought. It's just an idea. But I will say God does give us principles and postures and standards for how we do things. And he does want us to protect immigrants and care for them, not by just acting like it doesn't, like they're breaking the law doesn't exist, but acting like it does and making it right. And so immigrants in the gospel, here's what God, how he wraps up the verses in Leviticus. He says, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt, I am the Lord your God. The love and mercy we receive from God and Christ should be the motivating factor for the love and mercy we show immigrants. The people of Israel were slaves in Egypt, but they weren't to pay forward the pain they experienced at the hands of the Egyptians, but they were supposed to pay forward the love and mercy they experienced at God's hand. First Peter picks up again and he says this, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without a blemish or spot. The word exile that Peter uses, and Pastor Kyle talked about this a few weeks ago, is the word parochia. We Christians are parochia on earth. We're spiritual exiles, we're spiritual sojourners, we're spiritual immigrants because our home is in heaven. And we've been ransomed from slavery to sin by the precious love of Christ. So we aren't to pay for it the pain we've experienced at, the, at Satan's hand or at the world's hands. But we're supposed to pay for it the love and mercy we experience from God in Jesus. So as a descendant of an Irish immigrant on my dad's side, the Irish were treated very poorly when they came over, very poorly. But as a Christian, I shouldn't hold a grudge about that. 
but look to make sure immigrants and their descendants are shown the, the mercy and love of same protections as I wish my family was given when we came over. And that I'm afforded today. I'm to love the immigrant as myself. But also as a Christian, I'm to disciple immigrants in the way of Jesus, which requires me, when I hear their stories, if they're not here legally, to tell them to honor the government God has put in the place. And lastly, immigrants in mission. Jesus calls us in Matthew 28 to take the gospel to all the nations. But did you, realize, did you know this, that one in five residents in Northeast Philadelphia were born outside the United States? We are in Northeast Philadelphia has large concentrations of immigrants from Asia, Europe, and the Americas. Where I live in Somerton is almost 60% foreign-born. 60%. Which makes sense, because last night I ate Uzbek food from Uzbekistan. It's a great restaurant, by the way. Highly recommend. If you don't take anything else from this sermon, take Uzbekistan with you, all right? My barber's Albanian, and the shop owner's Indonesian. See, the presence of immigrants, though, is a real gospel opportunity. The nations are coming to us. Many nations are sending missionaries to the U.S. because they see the way things are going. They're like, no, the gospel needs to go there, too. They're taking Matthew 28 seriously. The gospel opportunity that we have is in our backyards. Imagine sharing the gospel of Jesus with an immigrant and they go back and they take it to their communities and maybe they eventually return home to their home country and they share it there too. But that only happens when we love immigrants as ourselves. It's not that hard. Listen, just treat immigrants the way you would want to be treated. That's it. Some of us will have to be strategic. We're going to have to put ourselves in places where immigrants are. We have to patronize their businesses. Uzbekistan. All right? But also grow ESL. Grow ESL is a great way to get involved and be with immigrants strategically. And just treat them the way you want to be treated. And or simply just befriend someone when it's possible. Just be kind. Just be a nice person. And there's gospel responsibility. We should call the government to have balanced response to immigration. One that's loving and merciful, but also has standards that need to be honored. There was plenty of work to do on this. We didn't solve this today. That's why, and we don't have homing this week, so you're not going to be able to solve it ever. No, I'm just kidding. But there's plenty of work to do. But as Christians, here's my challenge. If you're a follower of Jesus, listen, let's show the same love and mercy to immigrants that we've been afforded by God. And let's welcome their presence as a missional opportunity to share the gospel, the love and mercy of Jesus. Can we do that? All right, let's pray.